you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world raise $130 million in growth funding and can help you fast track product market fit and where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Today, I'm really happy to welcome on Alexander Leonard Larson, CEO and co-founder of Axie Infinity. Welcome. Thanks, Jamie. Happy to be here and um, excited to talk a little bit about uh, what's been happening in the blockchain gaming space over the past few years and, and where we're going from here. Yeah. So as I was saying earlier um, to you off air, I've been speaking about Axies a lot, um, both on the podcast, uh, on Twitter and various other channels. It's great to be speaking to you directly. Um, So Axies are fierce fantasy pets you can battle and collect while earning crypto and effectively are part of the play to earn revolution. Axie Infinity is a startup that creates decentralized applications for businesses and consumers. I guess that branding component is going to be interesting to discuss a little bit later. Um, And you describe yourselves as operating at the bleeding edge of blockchain scaling and are pushing for mainstream adoption in 2020. So from what I could see, I mean, you've been very early and active in gaming generally, and I, I can see you've done a number of community initiatives there. But as I understand it, Axis is 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 your first startup, right? Yeah, that that's correct. Uh, previously, I I actually worked within a totally different industry. I was in uh, more on the state side in in uh, the Norwegian state, so nothing specifically related. But I was always doing gaming on the side, so I was a competitive uh, gamer, played on the highest level of Warcraft three, Dota, Dota two. And I was building communities there uh, for a very, very long time, I would say over the past 15 years. So I saw the kind of the beginning of esports and all these things. But in terms of uh, working in the gaming industry, I didn't really feel like there was a space necessarily because all the, the, what can I say? It was so hard to find a niche that actually fit because the, the margins were so small. And the, the, the innovation was not near, really there over the past, I would say, five to 10 years. So something was maybe lacking. And that's kind of when I, when I saw NFTs emerging for something else that I loved, which was blockchain technology, I figured that this is going to change the way that games are being played forever. Probably. Yeah, right. And so it looks like you've, you've fixed the, the small margin problem um, and also the lack of innovation. So we're going to unpack a little bit later. And of course, um, yes, that role at state level definitely caught my eye when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. So I'm going to interrogate you on that too. So uh, as I said, co-founder, COO of Axie Infinity and Sky Mavis. Sky Mavis is the, the company behind Axies and one would assume that there's going to be plenty more games coming out of that. Um, as I said, you've worked in the blockchain space since late 17, focused on blockchain games, player-owned economies. Um you also are on the board of directors at the Blockchain Game Alliance with Sebastian, who's a good friend of ours, um, over at Sandbox, who we've also had on the podcast. And um, y- as you said, you represented Norway in, in uh, Warcraft 3 and Dota, uh, ranked one of the top 200 players in Europe in Dota 2, streamer, tournament organizer, and commentator. And actually, the first time you came on our radar, um, one of our team, Charlotte Kapoor, 
um, was at, I don't know if it was East Berlin or Paris. I can't remember which one it was. East CC uh, earlier. Ah, there you go. Yep. There you go. And you would, she said you were the talk of the, uh, the show, really. And so it came as no surprise to her that Axis was having the success that it's having. Um, so I, I don't know if it felt like a surprise to you, but I think certainly there's a lot of expectation of people that were aware of what was coming through with the project. And to maybe just quantify that or qualify it, you're really experiencing exponential growth now. Um, so of course, there are a number of different ways you might measure that. Um, and I'm probably going to get some of this wrong, so I'm, I'm sure you're going to correct me. But um, you've gone from you know, sub 2,000 to 22,000 uh, unique wallets, holding some form uh, of asset related to Axie um, over year-on-year -year growth. Um, you are the number one gaming dApp on Ethereum by by some way, I think 10x compared to uh, the, 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 the number two. Um, but even if you look in the context of dApp wallets generally, you know, removing perhaps some of the non-civil ones where you can game, game the numbers a bit. Um, so I think you're 15, number 15 of all dApp wallets, right? And that's including some of the non-civil ones. Yeah, exactly. In, in terms of we're very conscious of that and try to uh, rule those out because it's so easy. And we started, we actually saw that very early on, uh, how easy it is to game some of these statistics. So we we generally uh, try to look at our own metrics and uh, and then compare to similar, but it's quite hard because it's easy to game. But now as the gas fees are so high, people are not finding it worth uh, to game the fees. So it becomes even more clear uh, when something like Axie actually finds traction because it, it, it justifies why people would spend so much money on, on transactions, right? Um, and compared to what we saw also with DeFi, even some of those DeFi applications were being priced out of Ethereum. So for us and Axie to see that people are spending so much money on transactions, it, it's just a, a way to quantify the, the success that we have, even though it is uh, in essence money that's flowing out of the ecosystem that, that could even be spent inside our game, right? So there are good things, but also bad things, but it becomes even more clear to people that something special is happening here. So that's kind of what we are very excited about uh, right now. Yeah. And that's a really interesting perspective about, you know, uh, flow in and out of these economies and, and perhaps where they're flowing to or across. So in the last month, November, um, I saw a stat on Twitter, which said you've generated gross market value of 6,269 ETH. So uh, at that point, it was about $3.7 million. And the person who put that set out reckoned that would be 266 Ethereum revenue, so about $158,000, um, accruing to AXS holders managed by the DAO. Yeah, so I think uh, in, in terms of that specific stat, it might actually be on the low end because it only ah. counted uh, transactions from Ethereum. So. To put things in perspective, uh, we have uh, uh, our we deployed certain parts of the Axie Infinity ecosystem on a second uh, layer, uh, which was called Loom Network, in the uh, very early in 2019. So we have a, a part of our marketplace there, and there is also some uh, some breeding fees uh, that maybe not be counted. So uh, over the past 30 days, we've had around 430 ether in, in revenue, and that revenue is actually for now flowing into to. Uh, the Sky Mavis team, but over time we will be activating a community treasury. So, and that means that 
100% of the revenue that's flowing into Axie Infinity will be put into that treasury, which then is governed by the holders of our native Axie Infinity token. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things there that, that we can discuss as well, how, how it's uh, designed, but it could be that we are getting ahead of ourselves. So, <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I mean, and it's interesting you mentioned Loom because I guess that's linked to this point earlier around bleeding edge of blockchain scaling. So there's probably a clue in there somewhere as well as to some of your intentions. So maybe we, we pick up on that a little bit later. Um, but, you know, all in all, it's going really well. Um, and, you know, I guess for for a first time founder, um, I think that's amazing to see as well. I think uh, a lot of people will be very envious of, of that success straight out the gate. Um, so aside from Axiom, we're going to get into the specifics of it a little bit. Um, as you might have seen on Twitter, I have been playing it with my daughter. It's one of the first experiences where um, she's seven years of age. She actually understands kind of what I'm doing now for a job. So it's quite nice to be able to experience it. We're not very good. We keep losing. Um, I'm having to spend more and more on the axes just to compete. But hey, um, it, it's it's been a fun experience. I'm kind of getting my head around the game a little bit. But I think what's interesting about you as a founder is, you know, you're clearly somebody from gaming that has arrived into the crypto world, not um, overnight, you know, you've been in it for, for several years and been at the heart of the Ethereum community. But this convergence of these two worlds, I think, is is really interesting. Um, and it raises lots of questions around the idea of what we're building a, as a digital economy and how people can participate in that digital economy and concepts around financial inclusion. And I know that's a big part of what drives, for example, Axies and Axies Game. I've heard that there are whole villages in Southeast Asia that are um, earning their income, weekly income from playing Axies, which is, which is really cool to hear. Um, so maybe to just build upon some of the things we, we were talking about in the intro as to your background, um, so you, you, you'd started kind of creating esports content back in 2014 with something called, I'm not even going to, I don't know how to pronounce that, Dag, Dagblut. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's even before that. So ah, okay. I, I think we have to kind of start, uh, maybe at the beginning. So yes, I was, um, playing Warcraft three at a very high level when I was maybe 18 about that, that's, uh, when I was 17, so so right now I, I'm 34. So it's it's quite a long time ago. I think with early early 2000s, uh, 2003 maybe. And then what what happened is that uh, I always wanted to make content, and I felt felt like uh, we needed someone to to start something for the community. So we ended up actually founding. I guess calling me a first time founder would be wrong. Uh, in the but maybe more in the traditional sense that you think of a founder where someone is making something to make money, right? We came from the from the point of making something of value to the community from the beginning. So we made this website called uh, um, eventually as it called Dota.no, which was basically a community site where people could host tournaments and and uh, create things in there. And then I started actually working as a as a commentator for the Norwegian national newspaper, which is called Dagblada. Eventually, so that's kind of a skipping ahead quite drastically. But these things are quite connected in in a sense of of where my personal feelings of of kind of where you come from, you have to provide value, no matter what it is. If you come from a perspective of extracting value immediately, you will oftentimes uh, kind of destroy everything that you're trying to do uh, before it's kind of uh, kicked off. And that, that, that has also evolved into how we look at things from the Axie perspective, more so than anything. So 
yeah, that, that's uh, that's also why I was so attracted to to Web three and to to kind of the ethos of of where the 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 economy is more open and shared with everyone who is adding value. Because then it's more much more natural for those who who come in and they provide value. They can also extract something in return eventually, more so than in these traditional economies which are very gated. So yeah, it's it's quite exciting to see this this major shift in in the in the mindset of people, and how easy it could be to get started making something of your own, a business in the future. But as a first time founder, as you say, yeah, that there is definitely a there is definitely something unique that's happening. But I wouldn't say that uh, it is my absolutely first time. It's just yes. been a, a part of the journey, so to say. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And before we kind of get into all of that, I I, I did want to poke at the um, being executive security officer for the Norwegian government. I guess you're going to tell me you can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is, it is quite private, but um, I was working in the in the army a little bit. And then after that, uh, I did my economy education at one of the better schools in Norway uh, and then eventually uh, ended up somewhere totally different. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun, uh, but it was not necessarily something that, that I figured I would be doing for the rest of my life. It was a massive learning experience and some sensitive things. So can't really talk too much about it, but it has definitely affected the way that I lead things. So I'm quite di direct and try to be as transparent as possible whenever I am discussing or handling people. I think it's much more uh, preferred to to that than when you are doing it, like talking around everything. So, so for me, it's quite direct. Uh, and ha having worked a lot in Asia over the past, I would say three years, it's taken a little bit of uh, getting used to the way that that they handle things there. <laughs> so I quite frequently get told that, that I might be too direct, but but also I think that's a part of what makes me me uh, so that they can uh, respect that or, or some people maybe don't, but I mean, that, that's kind of the way it is. Yeah, and it's interesting, and we were jumping around a little bit, but if you look at Axis, as I understand it, you, you have this kind of split Scandinavian, Southeast Asian um, team presence and that also feels representative of when I'm speaking to people who are in NFT gaming as a geographic distribution, there does seem to be a lot of um, uh, gravity around Scandinavia and Southeast Asia. Why, why is that? Hmm. I mean, I didn't actually consider that, but, but um, you know, Sweden, Norway, Scandinavian countries, more so than anything, that the, the very early in terms of the internet as well. So I can see that, uh, I can see the attraction there in Swedes, uh, in particular, big gamers. Uh, so yeah, that there is something there about uh, taking part in the in the new economy that that's forming. And in Southeast Asia, that they do love uh, grinding for things, and it's just like a major. The amount of work that they are willing to put in for something is truly amazing to see. And that's also what attracted me to to actually uh, take that leap and to join a team that that's located in Vietnam. So you know, for me. I guess I'm segueing a little bit, but to kind of the founding story of Axie and where the founding yeah. team met, you know, it's me. And then there is Jeff, uh, whose name is Jihos Axie. Some might have known him from, from, from Twitter. He's quite active there. He's from the US. And then we have three guys uh, from Vietnam who are part of the, like the, the core founding team. And what happened is that we actually met when we were playing CryptoKitties uh, from the beginning in, in late 2017. I was working for another uh, startup at the time who was also doing uh, like player on the economy stuff, but they didn't go so well. But in this any case, Parsec, right? yeah, Parsec that was Parsec Frontiers. Frontiers yeah. yeah. So, so in any case, I, I, I met these guys and I, and I figured that they believe the same thing that I do. And what we felt is that um, CryptoKitties had such a massive potential 
Uh, and I, I actually sadly don't think that they uh, realized that before it was too late. So they didn't believe the same we did uh, in the sense that the, the empowerment of the community. They did realize that later, but in my opinion, the probably the strongest thing of CryptoKitties was the community that was forming around there. So that's where we met and we, we, we agreed that this is amazing. We want to build something with NFTs because we feel like NFTs could be the gateway to, uh, to, uh, to, to the masses to crypto because it makes so much sense that you would own your unique items and your identity, actually. Whatever it is that you're doing online, this can be stored as NFTs, as a badge or as an asset, or, and then you can bring it with you not necessarily like you can use it in other games, but at least as a proof of your, that you are you. So that was very attractive. Uh, and then we set out to, to build Axie uh, because we wanted to make something very simple and easy for players to, to uh, experience crypto. And after that, it kind of evolved into so much more once we started seeing this whole, uh, the, the engagement and how, how wild people are about Axie and the IP that, that we, we are creating right now. So what we actually realized is Axie Infinity is much more than a game. It's actually also a, a job platform and a social place where you meet your friends, you, you hang around, you live together, you talk together, and then you also work together. And I think that's also the, the, some of the foundations of the, this new economy, what it enables, where people who are interacting with, with the products, they're also rewarded by it. And that's kind of what we are seeking to do with Axie and why we think it's the, it's the perfect example for how future games should be built and why games are the best way to onboard people into crypto, not DeFi as many others seem to think. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I had Robbie Young, CEO of Animoca Brands on last week, and he said, look, if you look at every major period of mainstream adoption of a technology it's been driven by entertainment and so i think in that context when you think of web3 the digital economy that's forming all of its principles about, around user centricity and stuff like that i think the easiest way to bring people on is um through something like gaming rather than necessarily DeFi. although i, I do want to talk about this later how the things that you earn in this digital economy through gaming can be used as a form of collateral in in DeFi for borrowing and lending and stuff like that so if we kind of start at the top you know for people that maybe aren't so deep into gaming uh, this concept of play to earn so you talk about it's a play to earn revolution could you talk about play to earn just like very high level um, the kind of a quick summary of its history and then why it's a revolution now, why it's revolutionary, what we're doing with NFTs. Sure. I think you know, play to earn is actually not that revolutionary when you look at traditional games, because you've always been able to earn something when you are playing a game. And that might be you're earning rare badges, you're finding items. In a sense, this is play to earn. The only difference is what's happening now is that we are actually allowing people to interact with an economy because they own the items fully. Usually in the past, the items belong to the game company, not necessarily to the player. So if I had played 5,000 hours of World of Warcraft or whatever other game it is, I love the game, I love all the things that I found, but maybe I wanted to quit the game. The items would belong to the game company and, and as such, I would not be able to extract any of that value or even bring it with me to, to anything else that I did in the future, which is pretty sad. Uh, and it's also rooted in, into the way that I believe in, uh, in digital identity 
and the fact that everything that you do online is also not really yours in a sense it belongs to these platforms so so that's kind of what we what we uh, what, what we see now and what we want to change with play to earn in axie so in short everything that you do and earn uh, in axie they, they should be tokenized as resources uh, and then can interact with the broader economy which in itself has some major implications, right? It means that people can live playing the game if the economy is set up correctly, right? So there are challenges there, like in any economy, if there is too much inflation, for example, if if the incentives aren't aligned in the right way, you might get some really weird uh, things happening in the game. Or you might see something truly unique happen, uh, like we've seen in Axie, like you mentioned, some people are... Uh, like it's an upwards mobility journey uh, where some people are are changing their lives, which is insane to see. And it's even led to to other businesses forming inside Axie, where where some guys are creating now work contracts for their players who are harvesting resources inside the game. So it's like a totally new way of looking at looking at gaming as a part of the the broader economy. And I think that makes sense since players and humans in general are spending so much more time in the digital realm that, that why would they not own all their assets instead of just playing for something and then it's it's purely for for uh, education so it's tied also to motivation and all these things but we can discuss uh, motivation also a little bit later so yeah that's kind of a very brief uh, history of play to earn and, and what it means and in Axie we're doing it I think a little bit differently and we're doing a lot of experiments to see how this can be made in a more sustainable way. Yeah, and I guess this is the benefit of your background, having studied economics. And I guess it also, as a founder, must put quite a bit of pressure on you in terms of the decisions you make, right? Because if this is geared towards social mobility, I mean, you, you mentioned a few things there, like some of the foundational principles, I guess, which is the sovereignty of the user, their ability to exit one economic system and, and join another one. But I guess within that system, um, the the decisions that you make from a design perspective obviously w could might affect yeah the social mobility wealth concentration all of these kind of things that you would see in a, a classic economy actually i want to before we, we jump i want to say that, that that that's also tied to for example asset value right so one thing that we've seen in axie is like for example there is no way to to play for free yet the only way you can play the game is if you buy an axie and the cheapest one uh, is about 30 dollars right now plus gas uh, which is which is wildly wildly expensive, right? So as a game developer, what we need to do is make sure that the game is fun for everyone. So we're constantly tweaking things in terms of balance changes and all that stuff. And of course, that is painful for players uh, if they spend a lot of money on it. But we have certain like ground stones for what we won't change, and that's like asset scarcity, for example. There are some some assets in Axie that that are truly scarce that we will never change. That's written in a smart contract. And then on the other side, you have things that might need to change so that the game has the can reach its full potential. And that that includes also balance changes. But all of these things are also part of the the game development journey. When you are developing something in the open, in the same sense that we are, it, it, we get a lot of feedback from players. But but in the end, it is our responsibility and and our the way that we do things as a game developer that that matters the most right now so uh, while democracy is good it's also scary because you need to have a ship captain or someone with the main ideas and principles and you need to follow through even though that might mean some short-term uh like uh, mistakes or not not necessarily mistakes but like it might feel from a player perspective oh why are you guys 
making these changes when they are directly uh, uh, impacting me in a negative way. So uh, a thing that we just did recently, for example, we started seeing all these businesses come in or, or scholarships as they're called in Axie, where, where people are basically, they're lending out their Axies to other players. And these players are not necessarily adding much value to the ecosystem other than them. they are one human, they are a body, they are playing, right? And that in itself has value because you get more numbers, you get the metrics, but maybe they don't put money into the ecosystem, but they rather extract as much as they can. And that can also be scary. So we might need to make changes, balance changes there where we are now in, we just implemented a proof of stake system. So the only way to extract certain amount of value is if you have certain amount of axes and that then is equal to the amount of cost that, that, that they did to put in. So these things are correlated or they, they need to, 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 to make sense. Uh, if not, then, then the, 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 it just not, doesn't work for, for, for everyone. It's not a scalable economy. And that's exactly what we're trying to make. Yeah, and you, you talked a little bit earlier around the DAO, and I guess a lot of the considerations that you're mentioning here, effectively around governance, monetary policy, all these various things. Um, you know, this is not just unique to Axie, right? This is an ongoing debate in most of these kind of crypto economies about the empowerment of the executive and how you balance that with participation from the community, from a voting perspective, a decisioning perspective. And, um, you know, it, it does kind of, raise some questions around, uh, you know, if people are lending assets for certain, you know, for people to be able to play that can't afford to join the economy themselves, is that a new form of digital serfdom and, and, and lots of really interesting things. Um, so let's, let's go, let's get into the game first, because I think some people are probably trying to think what, so what the hell is axes? Let, let's get that out of the way and then we can go back into all, all, all of that stuff. So could you just explain the concept behind axes or the land components? You've got a quest component. I haven't actually done the questing yet with, with my daughter. So yeah, sure. So uh, going back, I think uh, first to, to early 2018, we, we knew that we wanted to make a very simple game where you own three axes and you use them in a battle game uh, where you can battle other players. So that's kind of uh, one of the games and we did de deployed that. Everything was on chain. It was a disaster. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't particularly good at all. Uh, so we scrapped that game pretty early. Uh, but, but another game that, that we had successful uh, with the begin from the beginning was a breeding game of, of axes. So you combine uh, two axes and they have each their uh, genetic formula, their DNA, which is stored on the blockchain. And then you, you combine them uh, with adding some, some ETH and then some other resources that you find in the game, which is now called small love potions. And then you combine them to, to make a new uh, axie. And that's kind of been the, the, the main game for a long time. And then early on in 2019, we introduced the, 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 the version two, I should say, of the, of the battle game, which is the one that, that exists right now. And what happens there is that you, you play with your axes uh, in a three versus three combat. You enter similar like in iOS or Windows or whatever kind of application you want to use. Then you enter a battle game using the axes that you own and you get cards, which is tied to the abilities of the axes. Uh, and then you use the cards, you have energy. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the principles of the, of the battle game. And then uh, whoever wins, they earn small love potions, which you then use to um, breed new axes. So these games are connected, but in short, you can say that uh, axes are similar to workers. You need workers to interact with the economy and to all the games that we are uh, making. So what we're working on right now is a land-based gameplay 
where players need both land and axes uh, to, to interact with it for now. And that's a pretty simple where you build your kingdom, you can harvest resources, you can attack monsters. Uh, and these resources are, of course, tokenized uh, and they will be in the future. So they, they can also have an impact on the economy. So we're very excited to, to release that uh, in the middle of, of next year. Should be should be quite fun. So we're testing it. And that's also more in a sense of a persistent environment. Like a, Think of it like an MMO. So everyone starts at the same time. Uh, and then like the, the time starts going, people can harvest resources uh, and these kind of things. So should be fun to see. But the end goal for Axie, all of these things are user acquisition strategies. So this is where we are different from, I, I would say, other uh, game companies and, and other virtual world companies. Because for Web3 and Axie uh, to actually function, the, the end goal is to make it into a virtual world. And by saying that, I mean, if you look at, for example, Fortnite, and you can compare that to Roblox and Minecraft. In Roblox and Minecraft, right, there are only, the only way, there's no main game, right? The main game is to create content of yourself and then people play, they have fun together. Meanwhile, in Fortnite, they have like a main game, uh, which is the, 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 the battle royale game. People drop together, they play together. But these things will eventually be the same, I think, in, in, in my view, where the end goal is to have people spend all their time in these games, in these virtual worlds, where people can then, as in Fortnite, you can watch concerts together, right? You can do things together. And I think that's kind of the, the, the true power and the hidden potential of something like Axie. When you look at, for example, in the crypto space, you have Decentraland, right? And you have also Sandbox. Both of these uh, platforms are doing the platform approach first where they make a platform, they want people to come in, they want people to build. In Axie, we have games, we want people to come in to play the games, and then they can own the land and then turn that into a virtual world in the end. So that's kind of the very long-term perspective of what we are trying to create. Yeah, very exciting. And so just to give um, give a feel for the type of player, you know, this isn't just for kids. I mean, I'd argue it's probably more adults playing it than kids, right? And just from my own experience, it, I mean, it's quite a complex game. Um, uh, as I said, I've, I'm not winning very much and I, I'm not that stupid. Um, but I found myself like nudging my daughter off the desk because she lo loses a lot more than me. And, and um, But so could you tell us about the demographics a little bit? Yeah, so right now it's actually quite split, but uh, the the I would say the the main uh, part of the, the players are something like uh, young males between eighteen and thirty. So very much in the in a traditional crypto crowd, uh, more probably eighty percent uh, of them are uh, are that uh, in that uh, group, and then you have the other maybe twenty percent could be split between females and, and kids a little bit younger than that. So and also some of course older, but but in general the the the, the biggest part is like the traditional crypto crowd. They come in, they see the the potential for something like Axie in the long term. But what we've also seen a, a lot of success with is that people can introduce their introduce their, their family to crypto by something like Axie. Uh, because while the game is a little bit complex right now, it's still just a game in a sense with cute characters and cards that you play. And if you find it too hard, you can always play the adventure mode, which is structured in a way that you can learn the game in a quite simple, uh, straightforward way. But that's also going to be uh, improved. So we're introducing a, uh, an upgrade to the battle game, which is, uh, should be available um, early in next year, but I can't go too much into details about that. It's still a little bit secret, but yeah, it's very uh, a massive improvement, I would say, to the current system. 
Yeah, well, fortunately, my daughter doesn't know that she's playing with about $1,000 worth of axes at the moment. Um, she still thinks it's a, a, a little fun game. Um, so, and I don't know if what you were just talking about alludes to um, Axie Lab and Mio and the Mio Corporation. What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the, the Axie Lab is, uh, is something that we introduced early on in 2018 uh, as a part of, of a way to introduce new genes into the, into the gene pool. And then we have a, a part of the lore, so it's called the Mio Corporation, uh, who are issuing these, these new genes into, into, the, into the gene pool. And then players can then breed them to find heavy, like new combinations uh, of axes. Uh, we kind of put that a little bit on the on the back burner uh, to create out everything else that we wanted to do in in the universe. But eventually, we'll probably be going back to the breeding game to introduce new combination and, and other cool axes, right? Because we're just getting started. The 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 genes are, are still uh, a big part of of how axie will uh, evolve down the line. Um. So let's. Uh, now go into the the token design components as you say you've got your native um token axs um and this idea of an evolving community treasury perhaps a form of devolution uh, towards community from um, from you guys centrally but could you talk us through some of the design choices that that you made and i guess where you've deliberately allowed for flexibility as an executive to refine and adapt things? This is a very, actually a big question. So I think uh, we have to go back a little bit and uh, also talk about the foundation of Axiom and how we view the space and when we when we got into it. So when we found that it was very early in 2018 and there was all these bad tokens that didn't necessarily make sense, right? You, you have tokens that have no use case other than being, for example, a payment token in itself. And for us, that was very uh, not so attractive uh, because if you have a payment token in the future of Web3, uh, the way I see it, it's just a pass-through. So if something comes in, it has to come out at the same end. It's all about finding way to finding a way for a person to actually want to hold a specific asset because holders provide the value. So that was kind of the, the one of the first principles that, that we had. We wanted the token to be holdable. It needed to have some kind of um, fundamental value in it. And then we started to, to think like, how can we tap into the community potential that is Axie? Because we started seeing like people were taking tattoos, they were they were making games on top of, of what we realized was the platform, right? Uh, and then we figured, well, we want to, the way that we can uh, like uh, double down on this is to, to decentralize the platform and share the ownership with the, the people who are actually providing the most value to the ecosystem, the, the truly passionate people, right? And the question then comes to mind, like when you are introducing a token, there are, there are a few ways that you can do it. So for example, you have everyone has now figured out that it needs to be tied to the revenue somehow, to, to the fees that the platform or the network is generating. So in a traditional, like for example, the early token models, which had something like this, they have something called a buyback and burn model. And then you would look at something like MakerDAO, for example, where all the fees that are generated from the MakerDAO, uh, the, the CDP creation, it's being used to, to buy back and then they burn a certain amount of Maker uh, tokens. 
which is cool uh, because it, it's a good way to, to drive value for the token. But the, the, the issue there is that it also rewards those who are only passively holding that specific asset. So there is no incentive for the, the holders of the maker token to actually provide value to the, to the ecosystem because all the holders of, because the, the other people are doing that. You can just be there. You can just add it. You can just have it. And then that, that's it, which is kind of lame. Uh, in, in our opinion, right? So uh, the original design for the access token uh, was that there was a buyback and burn mechanism. And then we started working with Delphi Digital, uh, a well-known uh, token research firm who had been paying attention to Axie since the very early days. And what they, uh, they, they pitched us was more in the sense of how can we make sure that the holders of this token, they are actively participating by creating a value and they are playing the game. So if you are now a holder of an Axie of, of an access token and you also stake that token in the platform, then you also play and you also vote. So you do this work, right? Instead of being a passive holder, you're also working and then you are providing more value to the platform, which is then a positive feedback loop. That's really when we can see tremendous growth inside the ecosystem and reward those who are the true believers of what we're trying to create rather than everyone else who is kind of just holding it. Of course, they can also join the journey, but it's only fair that those who provide the most value get the most active rewards. So that's kind of the whole foundation for the, the access token. And that's why we think it's so cool to see the, the reception that it's had. I think after the, it, it launched in the market at, at 10 cents and now, it, now it's uh, trading at, at uh, 38, I think or close to 40. So it was peaking at 68. And now, I mean, the market goes where it wants, but it's still very interesting to see the response. And I think it, the, the potential is just massive when it comes to adoption. Uh, and it's easier to also calculate the, how much value should this network be worth? Because all of the revenue that's flowing in is being put into the treasury and, and these kind of things are also in very much aligned with the way that we see the space because we believe in transparency and we think that's probably one of the most important things uh, that a blockchain game and a, and a network should have so that's kind of the the the, the overlying the, the 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 high level designer of the access token and why we're so excited uh, and why so many others are so excited for what we're building yeah and again it's really interesting because there are in many age old debates within those decisions, right? You know, what are the roles of workers within an economy versus those that are purely providing capital? Um, and, and I've always been very confused by economists that aren't excited by crypto because it's just this real time experimentation in, in, in economics, right? And different economic systems and, and how they function. Um, so, how, how does this, how are we seeing this? A digital economy play out. You mentioned this idea of churning again. People that perhaps aren't familiar with gaming might not understand that as a as a behavior, as a as a subset. Um, you mentioned uh, some people are a bit having to be lent assets. I was speaking to a team um, potentially about sponsoring an esport, an Axie esports team, and one of the ideas was you know they need the best cards to be able to play. So you kind of invest in them, being able to. Um, uh, have the best cards to perform at an elite level. Can can you kind of talk us through some of these different um, behaviors that are forming in this digital economy and, and perhaps some that haven't happened yet, but that you are kind of designing for or thinking through? To go back a little bit before I answer the, the second question, it's like workers versus capital and how do we reward, for example, let's see as a large investor, 
a large investor who would come into Axie and, and they want to buy in these access tokens, they might be worried that, oh, I need to provide all the value back into the ecosystem. But we've considered that as well. And to provide jobs for players, the way that this can be done is that if these large investors have a lot of access tokens, they simply hire players to do their work for them. And that's a very exciting way of looking at it because it would be like you have this, this score that needs to be filled up every day. And then you can hire workers and then you can see that, okay, this worker is providing on average 10 score or 10 points every day, which I can then fill up my, my bank, which would then unlock the amount of rewards. So I think that's a very exciting thing that we haven't ever seen in something like Axie or some, some, anywhere <laughs> inside a right. uh, digital economy. So that's another way to employ workers inside the game, right? Rather than saying that they will get, for example, uh, the token rewards because they need to provide work simply. So yeah, that's that's also co coming back to when you guys were saying, oh, maybe you want to sponsor a team. I mean, wouldn't it not be cool if you sponsored a team and at the same time they were providing points for your so you so you could claim higher rewards based on your access like stack? I think that's cool, and that these are things that that we will see as a subset of things happening in the future. So one thing that we we've seen uh, as a concern for players is, is what you mentioned, right? People might need the best cards. They they might need they might feel like they are capped in terms of potential of, of like the, the, the this, um, I can't win unless I have the, the absolute best cards, right? Which is kind of, kind of sad. Um, but of course, in any game like Axie, it's a capitalistic society, right? So, so the most used things will always be sought after. And as more people come in, this will eventually could create a bubble um, because so many people want the best things. But I think uh, the way that the economy is structured, uh, the, 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 to the, the Axie token, the Axis, the Axis themselves, they will be generated based on this demand so people can breed that specific combination. And we're also seeing like massive breeding happening right now because maybe the price is too high. So there is an opportunity for players to, to breed and to kind of pop out these Axies uh, and then fulfill the need in the market. So I think creating more supply of Axies, basically. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and then that also allows more players to come in. And then that means more SLP in the market, which then means more axes. So you can see that this will kind of uh, stabilize the price of both things. But then the question is, what happens if you have an oversupply? Well, the price will go down, right? It's all of these things that we have to consider. I think it's amazing. I think it's really exciting because we look at the numbers and we try to, and we try to predict, of course, what's happening. Uh, in, in several years based on player growth, et cetera. And then suddenly you have massive growth spikes like we just had, right? Going exponential. These are things that you can't really uh, control in, in the same way, but you just have to kind of uh, uh, roll with the punches, right? And that's really when you can test out your systems. So for us, small love potions are a grand experiment before we really want to introduce the, the, the official Axie token, the access tokens as a play to earn uh, mechanism. And that is going to be quite exciting because what we see, and this is more related to DeFi actually, which I, which I guess you would be very, very interested in and probably also did a lot of research in. So what is, why are DeFi applications doing, doing yield farming, right? It is a marketing tactic to, to get people to provide liquidity. And once the DeFi, the yield farming is done, like, is there any moat for these uh, applications? So in our opinion, it, there isn't because the, the liquidity is, is uh, highly illoyal. They are not going to stick around once you're finished with the yield farming. Meanwhile, in Axie, what we see is that people are emotionally connected to the NFTs, to the network that we are creating, and we can introduce yield farming through 
the access token as a marketing strategy to bring in millions of users down the line. But all of that is contingent on having this uh, set system in place, the framework ready, which nobody else has ever created. I think in the history of gaming, and I was thinking at the same level that we are, uh, or at least maybe they don't have the same cap capabilities. A lot of people might be considering what's happening, but making something and doing it, living it, is totally different than being from the outside and then saying, oh, you guys should, like, when we're changing something, oh, you guys should just be doing this instead. I mean, great. Thanks for the feedback, mate. <laughs> but we literally spend our life thinking about this. I don't see anything else. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to start ranting, but <laughs> I think it's so easy to look from the outside and in rather than doing something yourself. Yeah, and it's really interesting you mention NFTs in the context of... So uh, we did a post recently called DeFi 2.0, and the argument was exactly as you said, that um, what DeFi had proved over the summer was that you know this kind of yield farming was a great form of user acquisition. It was subsidized marketing, but obviously marketing should be done in a predefined campaign. It can't be in perpetuity, especially when you're debasing your economy, your currency by effectively giving away supply. Um, uh, the, the flips, and so effectively you have this very promiscuous hopping around looking for yield, all of which is unsustainable. Um, so if you look at something like um, Aave and Avigotche, the idea that NFTs can be the loyalty loop, right? So you can have a, a new form of value that can lock people in after the acquisition campaign's over um, without debasing your underlying economy. And I think you're, you're actually coming at it from the, the opposite um, perspective, but the same outcome, right? You know, you have the NFT... Um, is is this is the sticky thing, and now you can leverage DeFi to uh, kind of um, uh, accelerate user acquisition, but you can turn it off at the same time. I assume as well, right? That, that's kind of the difference. Um, very cool. So that then feeds into Sky Mavis. Sky Mavis is the company behind the game. I guess uh, the equivalent might be a Rovio Entertainment, the, the the company behind Angry Bird. Like, what's the vision? To Sky Mavis, and and you know, it, do you intend to kind of go the Rovio route and end up in, you know, making movies and all kinds of different franchising that might come off Axes and its IP? Yeah. So the important thing here to say is that uh, Sky Mavis owns the Axie IP. The way that things are structured right now is that Axie Infinity is one separate product of Sky Mavis, and we are spinning out the ownership of the revenue stream, so to say, uh, in, in a separate token, right? And instead of taking massive founders' rewards, we are uh, putting a big part of the tokens on the Sky Mavis balance sheet so that Sky Mavis is incentivized to keep building for an extended period of time. And I think that's also where a lot of other founders fail uh, in terms of how are they structuring the tokens and making sure that the incentives are aligned between investors, players, uh, and token holders, right? So for Sky Mavis, we raised a seed round in the middle of 2019 uh, with some excellent investors. Among those are Animoca Brands, like you had on board uh, here, and then Hashed, 500 startups. We did attend a, a startup uh, school there, I should say, uh, which was really nice. Uh, and some other very key uh, key investors. 
Um, these guys are, are aligned uh, with, with us, the way that we are structuring the, the tokens and they didn't get any free tokens uh, when, we, when we released the, the access token to the market. So we're putting these tokens on the balance sheet of Sky Mavis. And if we make other products, it's possible that they these other products would also have tokens of their own. Because this is just the way that, that I see any product inside Web3 should probably have their own token to capture the revenue streams if you want to reward those who are actively participating in the value that's being created there. So that's kind of the, the first step uh, of it. Of course, we took a minor founder reward and, and something to, to reward the team, but I think that's also uh, kind of uh, should, should be okay. But I hope that the, the way that the, the token economy for Axie is structured can be the gold standard for other token, for other like founders to look at in the future instead of being greedy. And then when I look at other tokens, I don't understand why people are investing in them and I don't understand what, what, why is this okay? It shouldn't be like that, in my opinion. It's so strange to see these, these massive and fat rewards that go to, to one person when the only way of, to create something of value is to have a long-term vision for what it is that you're doing. There's a reason why equity is bound up for such a long time. It, it doesn't make sense that someone would get rich of, of working for a year or something like that. This is a long-term thing that we're creating. Uh, and that's kind of the, the, the way that the, the, the incentive should be aligned. So for Sky Mavis, the long-term vision is to make an ecosystem uh, for many games. And we're making also the infrastructure uh, for that. But everything is related to Axie Infinity first. So we have our own uh, EVM sidechain to Ethereum, which is going to be in public testnet coming out in, in a few weeks. And then we also have a platform, which is called the Mavis Hub, uh, which you can think about it as mini Steam, a light version of Steam. And inside that Steam, light version of Steam will be the wallet and also the marketplace and also tied directly into the to the role in the sidechain that we're creating. So quite simply said, if you're a new player, you want to play, you start, you log into the to the Sky Mavis Hub, and, and that's it. You, you have your wallet, you have everything that you need to do to, to interact uh, with everything in Axie. And then if you then potentially want to do something for other games or other Axie games, maybe we will uh, integrate them too in the future. But that's kind of uh, for the long term. Our goals right now is to make something so amazing for Axie and so easy to use for anyone that the only thing that people have to consider when they start playing Axie is that this is an amazing game. This is fun to play. And it also has the benefits of being open, transparent, and that the economy is owned by the players and everyone else uh, who is participating in this economy. And I think that's our opportunity. Uh, and that's also what traditional game, the, the traditional gaming industry isn't really interested in because the margins are so fat for those who are winning, right? They, why would they want to do something like what we're doing? Because we're actually providing, giving away some of our upside, but that's also why the, the growth can be exponential. And, and I think we're just seeing the beginning of, of what something like this can enable. It's a revolution, actually. It does sound weird, but I mean, that's the way that, that I view it. Yeah, Ajanda, it's been a pleasure having you on. And I think that, you know, for those that haven't fully understood the impact of NFTs, especially in the gaming context for crypto and its principles, like I, I'm pretty sure they will by the end of this. You know, this is... Um, Axies represents a, a crossover moment. I'm sure there are going to be many more that kind of copy your success. And that's a good thing, right? Um, because we bring about the principles that we want to see in the web as a consequence. So um, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, I'm, I'm going to watch with interest as to how the game unfolds, both as a, 
a family player and um, and as somebody that's interested in the space more generally. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jamie. It was a pleasure to be here. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.